Book the Third, Part Ten of A Laodicean by Thomas Hardy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Book the Third, Part Ten. Somerset was in the studio the next morning about ten o'clock, superintending the labours of Knowles, Bowles, and Copton, whom he had again engaged to assist him with the drawings on his appointment to carry out the works. When he had set them going, he ascended the staircase of the great tower for some purpose that bore upon the forthcoming repairs of this part. Passing the door of the telegraph room, he heard little sounds from the instrument which somebody was working. Only two people in the castle, to the best of his knowledge, knew the trick of this, Miss Power and a page in her service called John. Mr. Stancy could also dispatch messages, but she was at Myrtle Villa. The door was closed and much as he would have liked to enter, the possibility that Paula was not the performer led him to withhold his steps. He went on to where the uppermost masonry had resisted the mighty hostility of the elements for five hundred years without receiving worse dilapidation than half a century produces upon the face of man. But he still wondered who was telegraphing, and whether the message bore on housekeeping, architecture, theatricals, or love. Could Somerset have seen through the panels of the door in passing, he would have beheld the room occupied by Paula alone. It was she who sat at the instrument, and the message she was dispatching ran as under. Can you send down a competent actress who will undertake the part of Princess of France in Love's Labour's Lost this evening in a temporary theatre here? Dresses already provided suitable to a lady about the middle height. State price. The telegram was addressed to a well-known theatrical agent in London. Off went the message, and Paula retired into the next room, leaving the door open between that and the one she had just quitted. Here she busied herself with writing some letters, till in less than an hour the telegraph instrument showed signs of life, and she hastened back to its side. The reply received from the agent was as follows. Miss Barbara Bell of the Regent's Theatre could come, quite competent, her terms would be about twenty-five guineas. But a moment's pause, Paula returned for answer. The terms are quite satisfactory. Presently she heard the instrument again, and emerging from the next room in which she had passed the intervening times before, she read, Miss Barbara's Bell's terms were accidentally understated. They would be forty guineas in consequence of the distance. I'm waiting at the office for a reply. Paula set to work as before and replied, Quite satisfactory, only let her come at once. She did not leave the room this time, but went to an arrow-slit hard by and gazed out at the trees till the instrument began to speak again. Returning to it with a leisurely manner, implying a full persuasion that the matter was settled, she was somewhat surprised to learn that Miss Bell, in stating her terms, understands that she will not be required to leave London till the middle of the afternoon. If it is necessary for her to leave at once, Ten guineas extra would be indispensable on account of the great inconvenience of such a short notice. Paula seemed a little vexed, but not much concerned. She sent back with a readiness scarcely politic in the circumstances. She must start at once, price agreed to. Her impatience for the answer was mixed with curiosity as to whether it was due to the agent or to Miss Barbara Bell that the prices had grown like Jack's beanstalk in the negotiation. Another telegram duty came. Travelling expenses are expected to be paid. With decided impatience she dashed off, 
Of course, but nothing more will be agreed to. Then, and only then, came the desired reply. Miss Bell starts by the twelve o'clock train. The business being finished, Paula left the chamber and descended into the enclosure called the Pleasance, a spot grassed down like a lawn. Here stood Somerset, who, having come down from the tower, was looking on while a man searched for old foundations under the sod with a crowbar. He was glad to see her at last, and noticed that she looked serene and relieved, but could not for the moment divine the cause. Paula came nearer, returned his salutation, and regarded the man's operations in silence a while, till his work led him to a distance from them. "'Do you still wish to consult me?' asked Somerset. "'About the building, perhaps,' said she. "'Not about the play.' "'But you said so.' "'Yes, but it will be unnecessary.' Somerset thought this meant skittishness, and merely bowed. "'You mistake me as usual,' she said in a low tone. I'm not going to consult you on that matter, because I have done all you could have asked for without consulting you. I take no part in the play tonight. Forgive my momentary doubt. Somebody else will play for me, an actress from London. But on no account must the substitution be known beforehand, or the performance tonight will never come off. And that I should much regret. Captain Dostancy will not play his part if he knows you will not play yours. That's what you mean? You may suppose it is, she said, smiling, and to guard against this you must help me to keep the secret by being my confederate. With Paula's confederate, today indeed, time had brought him something worth waiting for. In anything, cried Somerset. Only in this, said she with soft severity. And you know what you have promised, George, and you remember there is to be no what we talked about. Will you go in the one-horse broom to Markton Station this afternoon and meet the four o'clock train? Inquire for a lady for Stancy Castle and Miss Bell. See her safely into the carriage and send her straight on here. I'm particularly anxious that she should not enter the town, for I think she once came to Markton in a starring company, and she might be recognised, and my plan be defeated. Thus she instructed her lover and devoted friend. And when he could stay no longer, he left her in the garden to return to his studio. As Somerset went in by the garden door, he met a strange-looking personage coming out by the same passage. A stranger with the manner of a Dutchman, the face of a smelter, and the clothes of an inhabitant of Guyana. The stranger, whom we have already seen sitting at the back of the theatre the night before, looked hard from Somerset to Paula, and from Paula again to Somerset, as he stepped out. Somerset had an unpleasant conviction that this queer gentleman had been standing for some time in the doorway, unnoticed, quizzing him and his mistress as they talked together. If so, he might have learnt a secret. When he arrived upstairs, Somerset went to a window commanding a view of the garden. Paula still stood in her place, and the stranger was earnestly conversing with her. Soon they passed round the corner and disappeared. It was now time for him to see about starting for Markton. An intelligible zest for circumventing the ardent and coercive captain of artillery, saving him from any unnecessary delay in the journey. He was at the station ten minutes before the train was due, and when he drew up to the platform, the first person to jump out was Captain de Stancy, in sportsman's attire and with a gun in his hand. Somerset nodded, and de Stancy spoke, informing the architect that he'd been ten miles up the line, shooting waterfowl. "'That's Miss Power's carriage, I think,' he added. 
"'Yes,' said Somerset carelessly. "'She expects a friend, I believe. "'We shall see you at the castle again to-night?' Stancy assured him that they would, and the two men parted. Captain de Stancy, when he had glanced to see that the carriage was empty, going on to where a porter stood with a couple of spaniels. Somerset now looked again to the train. On his back had been turned to converse with the captain, a lady of five-and-thirty had alighted from the identical compartment occupied by de Stancy. She made an inquiry about getting to Stancy Castle, upon which Somerset, who had not till now observed her, went forward and, introducing himself, assisted her to the carriage and saw her safely off. De Stancy had by this time disappeared, and Somerset walked on to his rooms at the Lord Quantock Arms, where he remained till he had dined, picturing the discomfiture of his alert rival when there should enter to him as princess not Paula Power, but Miss Bell of the Regent's Theatre, London. Thus the hour passed, till he found that if he meant to see the issue of the plot, it was time to be off. On arriving at the castle, Somerset entered by the public door from the hall as before, a natural delicacy leading him to feel that though he might be welcomed as an ally at the stage door, in other words, the door from the corridor, it was advisable not to take too ready an advantage of a privilege which, in the existing secrecy of his understanding with Paula, might lead to an overthrow of her plans on that point. Not intending to sit out the whole performance, Somerset contented himself with standing in a window recess near the proscenium, whence he could observe both the stage and the front rows of spectators. He was quite uncertain whether Paula would appear among the audience tonight, and resolved to wait events. Just before the rise of the curtain, the young lady in question entered and sat down. When the scenery was disclosed and the King of Navarre appeared, what was Somerset surprised to find that, though the part was the part taken by de Stancy on the previous night, the voice was that of Mr. Mild. The hymn of the appointed season entered the princess, namely Miss Barbara Bell. Before Somerset had recovered from his crestfallen sensation at de Stancy's elusiveness, that officer himself emerged in evening dress from behind a curtain forming a wing to the proscenium, and Somerset remarked that the minor part originally allotted to him was filled by the subaltern who had enacted it the night before. De Stancy glanced across, whether by accident or otherwise Somerset could not determine, and his glance seemed to say he quite recognised there had been a trial of wits between them and that, thanks to his chance meeting with Miss Bell in the train, his had proved the stronger. The house being less crowded tonight, there were one or two vacant chairs in the best part. Stancy, advancing from where he had stood for a few moments, seated himself comfortably beside Miss Power. On the other side of her, he now perceived the same queer elderly foreigner, as he appeared, who had come to her in the garden that morning. Somerset was surprised to perceive also that Paula, with very little hesitation, introduced him and de Stancy to each other. A conversation ensued between the three, nonetheless animated for being carried on in a whisper, in which Paula seemed on strangely intimate terms with the stranger, and the stranger to show feelings of great friendship for de Stancy, considering that they must be new acquaintances. They proceeded, and Somerset still lingered in his corner. He could not help fancying that de Stancy's ingenious relinquishment of his part, and its obvious reason, was winning Paula's admiration. His conduct was homage carried to unscrupulous and inconvenient lengths, 
a sort of thing which a woman may chide, but which she can never resent. Who could do otherwise than talk kindly to a man, incline a little to him, and condone his fault, when the sole motive of so audacious an exercise of his wits was to escape acting with any other heroine than herself? His conjectures were brought to a pause by the ending of the comedy, and the opportunity afforded to him of joining the group in front. The mass of people were soon gone, and the knot of friends assembled round Paula were discussing the merits and faults of the two days' performance. "'My uncle, Mr Abner Power,' said Paula suddenly to Somerset, as he came near, presenting the stranger to the astonished young man. "'I could not see you before the performance, as I should have liked to do. The return of my uncle is so extraordinary that it ought to be told in a less hurried way than this. He has been supposed dead by all of us for nearly ten years.' ever since the time we last heard from him. "'For which I am to blame,' said Mr. Power, nodding to Paula's architect. "'Yet not I, but accident and a sluggish temperament. "'There are times, Mr. Somerset, when the human creature feels no interest in his kind, "'and assumes that his kind feels no interest in him. "'The feeling is not active enough to make him fly from their presence, "'but sufficient to keep him silent if he happens to be away. "'I may not have described it precisely.' But this I know, that after my long illness and the fancied neglect of my letters, for which my father was not to blame, since he did not receive them, said Paula, for which nobody was to blame. After that, I say, I wrote no more. You have much pleasure in returning at last, no doubt, said Somerset. Sir, as I remained away without particular pain, so I return without particular joy. I speak the truth, and no compliments. I may add that there is one exception to this absence of feeling from my heart, namely that I do derive great satisfaction from seeing how mightily this young woman has grown and prevailed. This address, though delivered nominally to Somerset, was listened to too by Paula, Mrs. Goodman, and Distancy also. After uttering it, the speaker turned away and continued his previous conversation with Captain Distancy. From this time till the group parted, he never again spoke directly to Somerset, paying him barely so much attention as he might have expected as Paula's architect, and certainly less than he might have supposed his due as her accepted lover. The result of the appearance, as from the tomb, of this wintry man, was that the evening ended in a frigid and formal way, which gave little satisfaction to the sensitive Somerset, who was abstracted and constrained by reason of thoughts on how this resuscitation of the uncle would affect his relation with Paula. It was possible also the thought of two at least of the others. There had in truth scarcely yet been time enough to adumbrate the possibilities opened up by this gentleman's return. The only private word exchanged by Somerset with anyone that night was with Mrs. Goodman, in whom he always recognised a friend to his cause, though the fluidity of her character rendered her but a feeble one at the best of times. She informed him that Mr. Power had no sort of legal control over Paula or direction in her estates, but Somerset could not doubt that a near and only blood relation, even had he possessed but half the static force of character that made itself apparent in Mr. Power, might exercise considerable moral influence over the girl if he chose. And, in view of Mr. Power's marked preference for distancy, Somerset had many misgivings as to its operating in a direction favourable to himself. End of Book the Third, Part
part 10.